Let me, let's get into uh, the text tonight, if we can. James chapter 5. James chapter 5, verses 13 through 18. I guess about, I don't know, 18 months ago or so, I was preaching through a sermon series on prayer. We looked at this text then. I went back and looked at that, those notes, and uh, certainly tried to re-digest this uh, scripture so that maybe tonight we can hear from God and it will bless us because this, I think, is of every scripture is significant. Every scripture is significant. But this scripture tonight, I think, can really minister to our hearts and lives when we look at this, when we think about the broken and how God gives us the privilege as a church, as a people, to pray for the broken. Listen to what James says. James is continuing to write to those believers, and he says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let him pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again. Heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Notice in those first, well, really in that first verse I read, verse 13, it reminds us of the myriad of experiences we have in the church, the different contexts that we find ourselves in the church life. He said, is there any of you suffering? That word suffer basically means to be pressed about. That is that you're living a life where it feels like you are being pressed in daily. O.S. Hawkins said, it means to suffer the evil blows from the outside world, that things are constantly coming against you. He said, is any one of you experiencing that type of pressure from the world? He said, if you are, pray. If you're experiencing those things from the world, let that individual pray. But then he says, is anyone cheerful? If, is anybody having a great experience of joy and blessing in your life? He said, if you're experiencing that, he said, you need to sing psalms. Jen, literally, it means to pluck a stringed instrument. That somehow you are demonstrating your worship before God if you are going through a very cheerful moment. I love pastoring. I think I've told you that a time or two. There's nothing like it. There's nothing like pastoring a local body of believers. I remember Dr. Jerry Barlow at New Orleans years ago saying to us that if we took any other job, maybe we joined the faculty of a seminary, maybe we took a structural position in the denominational life. Jerry said, no matter what you take, if you take one of those things, that's awesome. You can minister. You can do those things. But there's nothing like pastoring a local church. He said, in many ways, you've stepped down if you step away from a local church because there's something that is incredible. One of the things that I love about pastoring a local church is you experience 
the different contexts of families' lives, of individuals' lives. Sometimes you're going through great moments of cheerfulness, great times of joy. A baby has been born. Guess what? The pastor gets to show up. If he's in town, he gets to show up. There are times when we celebrate weddings. We celebrate relationships. We celebrate anniversaries. There are all kinds of things we get to do. I mean, I get to eat more places than any of you, you know, because there's always a reception going on and those kinds of things. The cheerfulness, the joy in the church's life. As a pastor, you get to uh, get into people's lives. Maybe, maybe there are some really godly people in your church that like to hunt. And if they're really godly, they invite their pastor to go with them. Yes, exactly. You're recording this, Andy? I've got some people I need to send it to. They're not here tonight or so. I need to. But that's the joy. Cheerfulness. He said, if you're going through the moment of cheerfulness, he said, you can sing. But there are moments also that a pastor goes through the suffering with individuals. When they feel like they're pressed in. When the world is just knocking them down. When Satan is having a heyday. Maybe it is a sin that has snarled them in some way and entangled them. Maybe, maybe it's a physical sickness or illness. Maybe it's a loss. But as a pastor, you get to see the cheerfulness. You get to see the brokenness. Here James says, we have those moments in our church's life. There are people who are suffering. There are people who are cheerful. I'm going to focus on the brokenness because I think that's what James focuses on here in this passage. But let me just say again, if you are cheerful, praise the Lord and worship Him for those moments. If you're having a good moment in your life before Christ, then you stop and you thank Him and you pour out your praise to Him. That's what James says. And I did love this. I wrote it down. Martin Luther said, The devil is a sad spirit, and he makes folks sad. Hence, he cannot bear cheerfulness, and therefore gets as far off from music as possible and never stays where men are singing, especially spiritual songs. I love that when I read that from Martin Luther. Isn't it awesome in a way that we can picture Satan fleeing from this place tonight? Because we have sung his praises. We have sung the praises of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and who he is. But again, I know that brokenness is a reality. We recognize brokenness and the broken. Let me say this. The broken are in our midst. Verse 14, he said, is anyone among you sick? The word sick there means weak or without strength. In verse 15, he'll use the word sick again, but note this. It's the same word in English, but it's a different word in the original language. The first word that you find in verse 14 means, as I've stated, weak or without strength. The second word, verse 15, the word sick that is used there means to be weary. So in other words, it's kind of like, He's talking about the weak, those without strength, those who are weary. It's like he's, to me, he is casting a wide net. He is saying, any of you 
that are experiencing difficulty, stress. It could be physical. And I believe that mostly here he's talking about the physical issues that you have. But at the same time, it could be brokenness in your relational or spiritual lives as well. Anyone who's weary. Is there anybody? Is there anybody who's weak? Is there anybody who is pressed in by the world itself? You and I know that every day of our congregational life, there are broken around us. They're broken in us. I hope you know that. You know, I've always, I've always heard this all throughout my ministry, whether I was pastoring at Pine Grove or First Baptist or here at Temple. I would always hear people say things like, well, I'll come to the church there when I get myself together. Oh, those people down there, they've got it all together. I just, you know, I just, I just wouldn't fit in. I've heard that so many times. And I, I now especially respond to, are you talking about the same people I'm talking about? Uh, you, you think that we have it all together? Because if you do, somehow somebody has painted a distorted picture for you. Because we do not have it all together. There is brokenness all in our church's life. Everywhere. And I don't care which church you find. There is brokenness. Now some may admit it. Some may not be so ready to admit it in their lives. But I will say to you, as the pastor at Temple Baptist Church, we got a lot of brokenness. We don't go out necessarily and trumpet it for everybody. To, to hear, but we have brokenness. And we always experience brokenness in our lives. There's always somebody who's weak or without strength. There is somebody who's being pressed in by what this world would do to them. There is always somebody. I have said, as a pastor, I would love to kind of stop and say, let me tell you what, I don't have a Johnny here, by the way. Let me tell you what Johnny's done. I, didn't, I don't have a Johnny, by the way. I just don't want to offend somebody that's going to be like, he just called me out. They told me. <laughs> Should have planned this message a little better here. So, But I want to say, let Johnny, why don't you stand up and tell him what you've been dealing with this week? Because we talked about it this week. Now, I would never, ever betray the confidence that somebody gives to me in my office or wherever I am. I never do that. But oftentimes I want to say, do you know what people have gone through this week in our congregational life? We don't necessarily tell you everything that happened every Sunday, but there's so many different things that, that goes on within our church's life. And that's the 2% I know. Because 98% of you won't come because you're afraid to say something. All of us experience brokenness. And every church, every church has broken people within it. So James says, if you're broken, what do you do? You pray. You pray. What I noted about this, and I'll just give you this little tidbit. When you're reading through the passage, when you're reading through a scripture, 
and you see words that are just repeated over and over, it's pro- that's probably, there's probably a reason behind that. So in every verse, in every verse, the word pray occurs. In every verse that we read. Basically, well, at least verse 13, verse 14, verse 15, verse 16, verse 17. Yeah, verse 18. Guess what? Every verse. Some of you looked at me and made me doubt myself. You just weren't paying attention probably. (laughs) Every verse. Repetition. If you're broken, you pray. Now, I'm not surprised James told us to pray. Because remember from history what James' nickname was? Old Camel Knees. That's what they called James. According to history, they called him Camel Knees. Because they said his knees were so calloused from the prayers that he would daily offer in the temple. So he practiced prayer. Not surprised he would encourage others to practice prayer. He says, pray. Now, specifically, look at verse 14. He says, let him call for the elders of the church. The elders sometimes can refer to, obviously, physical age. I think here he's talking about the leadership of the church. Let me dive in this very briefly, okay? And I'll try to come right back. There are different terminology, terminologies that are used in the New Testament to speak about the leaders within the New Testament church. One, you'll have sometimes this idea of overseer that's offered. You've read that in the scripture? The Greek word of overseer is episkopos. Yes, that's right. It's where the episcopal denomination comes from. That, that idea that there is a, an overseer, a bishop that has somewhat of authority. Then you have the presbyteros, the elders. Presbyteros, do you know what that would stand for? Presbyterians. My dad would be proud that I'd mention Presbyterians. That's what he grew up, Presbyterian. means elder. It's a, it's a group of individuals that would basically lead the church. And then, of course, you have this idea of the pastor, poimain, the pastor. That one which would shepherd the church. Just say this to you. Acts chapter 20, verse 28, 29. Basically, every one of those titles, everyone is used in that passage to talk about the same people. The elders of Ephesus are called the overseers, and they are called to shepherd the flock. Of God. That's the reason in most traditional Baptist churches, you have like pastors, ministers. You can start calling me bishop if you want to. No, I don't like that. No. Don't like elder either. That gives me a complex. Just stick with pastor probably. But all of those refer to the same people. Here, I think he's talking about bringing forth the leadership of the church. And that word call is in the tense. It, it is in the aorist tense, which means that it is a decisive, distinctive act, like you need to do it immediately and you need to take action on this, is when you feel, when you feel that you are weak, you are pressed in, you are going through these issues, call for the elders of the church. Call for the leadership. Now, 
I know you all can pray, right? Somebody asked me recently, your prayer does more for me than my prayer does. I said, I didn't say that. I did not say that. But the scripture says, bring forth the leadership of the church. Call them. Let them pray. Again, in that decisive kind of way. Let them pray. The tenses of this text speaks to an urgency that you ought to have. And I love the setting of it. The setting is not some formalistic, uh, ritualistic, complex type of intervention. It's just a simple coming together. It is so simplistic. It says, if you're sick, let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. It's almost like coming to the bedside. And praying over those who are sick. See, one of the great privileges as a pastor is you get to go in and see broken and weak people, sometimes physically weak people, and you get to come right by their bedside. And God gives you the opportunity to just pray with them, pray over them, encourage them, I think this is what he's saying here. He's not talking about some big ceremony in front of the church. He's talking about the elders, like going and leadership, just praying over the individual. So often, it's more of a blessing to us, probably, than it is to the individual, that we can come in such an intimate way. I remember, I don't usually use names or specifics, but... I remember going to see Miss Ruth Potts around Christmas. And uh, I went over there to, to pray over her and, you know, kind of deal. Of course, I walked in and Miss Ruth uh, said, hey, I need to talk to you just a minute. Now, I knew I better pay attention because even in her weakened condition, I was still scared of her. <laughs> she said... She said, get that tidings right there. I said, what? She said, that tidings, it's right there on that table. I said, yes, ma'am. I'm looking at it. Do you see anything wrong? I said, I'm sure there's something wrong. <laughs> Haven't seen it yet. Did you see where that Lottie Moon Christmas offering was put? It was put on the back of the tidings. Now, do you think that is an appropriate place to put the, the Lottie Moon Christmas offering? I said, no, ma'am, and I'm going to find out who, find out who did that. <laughs> but I remember being able to go into a room, pray with her, and how that story, how the story of being a minister and a pastor, of being there for those moments with people, how that has been repeated time and time again by many, many faithful pastors over many, many years. It's an intimate time. It is a close moment. And James says, if you're weary, if you're hurting, if you're going through these difficulties, go ahead and call. Call for the leadership of the church. Let them come in. Hey, it says... 
that as you pray over him, anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. There has been so much said about this in the years past. So many of us Baptists in particular, and look, I grew up Southern Baptist. I've been Southern Baptist all my life, Southern Baptist educated. I mean, so many of us, though, get so concerned about what everybody else is doing, we forget about what we should be doing. We get so concerned about somebody else doing something that we think is unbiblical, and then we get, we're afraid we're going to get kind of mixed in with that group, and then we just forget what we should be doing. He says, when you pray, you anoint with oil. Now, there are two words in the New Testament that basically mean to anoint. One means to assign. The other means to physically touch, to physically anoint with like this olive oil, to rub with oil. Now, throughout the Scripture, in New Testament, for example, you'll see oil used in a type of comforting, medicinal way. Remember the Good Samaritan that bandaged the wounds and, and really used oil to somehow bring some type of comfort to that one which is injured? It was used to, to bring strength and comfort. Even if you read some of the early historians... Josephus, for example, he says that Herod the Great, when he was going through so much discomfort in his life, they put him in like a tub of oil to try to bring him some kind of relief because that's what it, this oil could be used for. So I don't have anything against, now I'm going to say it out loud, okay? I don't have anything against people who use oil. Have, I have nothing against that. Oil does not heal anybody. The Lord Jesus heals people, okay? But what is this here? I think this is a practical application. I think it means that we can do whatever we ha take, whatever we have, and use it to bring comfort to an individual. I think it's fine to encourage them through appropriate physical touch. I think it is. I went to the best Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. It was called New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. I believe I had the best pastoral ministry people that you could ever hear from or allow them to teach you. I, I really do. Dr. Jerry Barlow, and he had certainly come from the likes of Dr. Joe Cawthon and others who had taught at New Orleans for years. I, I rarely disagree with them about anything. Dr. Cawthon wrote a book some years ago on pastoral ministry. It was called Equip for a Good Work. I still use it sometimes, at least some updated versions of it, when I teach a pastoral ministry class over at Monroe from New Orleans. But one thing he said, he said, make sure you do not touch the patient when you go into a hospital room. Now, when I read through that, I understand where he's coming from. There was concern about contamination or making them say, I, I, I got that, okay? I, I understand. Don't come up and lecture me afterwards. I know that. But I remember telling Dr. Barlow and others, when I go into the room, I'm going to probably take them by the hand. I'm probably going to put my hand on their shoulder when I pray. I'm probably going to do it. Now, I'm not going to tell you in this class because I want to pass it, Okay. Like, I'm not going to put it on a paper and formally write it down and you take off. But when I get out of here, that's what I'm doing. Because there is power of appropriate touch. 
And here's the sick. And they're anointing them with oil. They're rubbing them with oil. So you've got the oil that's bringing comfort, but also it's the physical touch that is there that is encouraging this individual. So they're praying. What I think he's saying is pray and do everything you can to bring comfort to that individual that is sick, that is broken, that is weary. Stand by the bed. Take their hand. Pray over them. And it says, the prayer of faith, verse 15, the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. He says, the prayer of faith. That means you just got to trust God. When I pray, I have to trust God. When you pray, you have to trust God. God, you got the power to do it. Listen, I have no doubt in my mind, God has the power to heal. And I don't care if they use some type of medicine here or there's a supernatural. I I don't care the way you describe it. God is in the healing business and he is the ultimate healer. He's the one that can use drugs. He's the one that can use doctors. He's the one that can just say, he can just speak and there can be healing. I believe that. Because the God of the New Testament, the God of the Old Testament is still the God of today. He is the God that can move in our hearts and lives. So we trust him. We trust him to do his will. I trust him to heal however he deems best. To use whatever resources to bring recovery. And for those of us who are believers, you know our ultimate healing, our ultimate healing is God bringing us to himself. Don't miss it. When God allows us to be freed from this earthly tabernacle and we are able to dwell in His presence, that is a healing beyond all other healings. It is time for celebration. But we trust Him. He said the prayer of faith is we trust God and trust His will. And see, that, that's faith, by the way. God, we trust you, and we're going to obey. We're going to keep doing whatever you decide, your will. It's not about me. It's not about me trying to twist your arm. God, you are sovereign in this, and I give you whatever, and you make the decision, but I'm praying, I'm asking, I am begging you to work on behalf of the broken. Let me share this. Um, I wasn't going to share this, not in my notes, going off script, get in trouble most of the time when I do that, you know, but. Last, uh, last Sunday, we had people who stood and um, asked for prayer, the invitation time last Sunday morning. And uh, I got an email this week. And I'm not going to tell you who it was, but it was an individual that had been dealing with some physical issues, been dealing with a lot. And they had been going through this time and time again. And they emailed me this week, say, when they left here that Sunday, There was no more pain. There was no more ache. There was no more issue that they had been experiencing. This is, I'm telling you, this is somebody is a solid, this is is a solid individual. This individual had been a Southern Baptist all her life. But she just knew God had spoken and God had worked. 
I got that. I, I came to Leslie. I was like, Leslie, come here. Because you know what? God will defy our expectations sometimes. God will do more than we could ever imagine. Because God is still in the healing business. He says, if he's committed sins, in other words, not only can he deliver the physical issues, he can deliver the spiritual issues. So if the person has been dealing with some spiritual issues in their lives, he'll be forgiven as well. Confess your trespasses. Pray for one another. Pray that you might be healed. Because the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. God has chosen prayer as the vehicle in which he operates to bring healing, the vehicle in which he brings his will and his purpose to bear. He's chosen that. He said we could communicate with him and have fellowship with him by talking to him through prayer. And he says, you can pray. You can seek me. You can see the things that will occur in your life as you turn to me. The prayer of a righteous man avails much. And then he gives us the example of Elijah. I'm not going to go into that in a lengthy way. All I'll just say is, Elijah, he prayed. The heavens, well, they were shut up. And when he prayed, well, abundance came. Rain fell. And he says, God honors prayer. And he honors people like Elijah, those of us who will come before him, understanding his power, discerning his will, and seeking him in all things. God can work in the broken's life. God can work in the broken's life. I love what Fanny Crosby said. Fanny Crosby, the old songwriter, said, Chords that were broken can vibrate again. Chords that are broken, lives that are broken, can vibrate again. But the only way they can do it is through the power and the mending and healing work of God. See, I think prayer can do anything God can do. Because we pray and God acts. And God works. So never underestimate the power of prayer. As we see the broken among us, never stop praying for those individuals and asking God to give healing and mending. God's doing it. He's doing it every day. Because I'll say this, just as we know every day there are broken among us, every day God is performing His healing work. And He has called us to participate in this redemptive effort as we pray, as we seek Him, and as we see people restored and reconciled and healed in His, in His way, in His name. Let's pray together. Father, Lord, I've said a lot about the broken who are in our midst. But Lord, we know that there are some here in, in this chapel tonight that are broken. 
There are some of our members, some of our faith family, that couldn't be here tonight. They're broken. They're struggling. The world's pressing in. They're weary. They're weak. God, I pray that you would bring restoration, healing, restitution in their lives. God, I pray for us as a church that we'd celebrate the joy, celebrate the great moments, but Lord, we'd also weep with those who are hurt, that we would be broken for those who are struggling. And allow us to be the ministers that we should be, all of us in this place, not just the pastors, but all of us to be the ministers we should be, to encourage and to bless and to call upon your name. Lord, we ask it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand?